You ready? 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 Watch out, Grateful! podcast features views and opinions that are not representative of the collective views of the Whispers groups. Some of these views may not be suitable for children. 
Accordingly, the producers and hosts of the Missy AE podcast must insist that no one attempt to take anything that is being said as representative of the views of any of the Whispers groups. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Missy AE podcast. Tonight, we bring to you Sports Whispers Weekly, where we have quite a bit to get to tonight. We have the, well, the lockout that has taken Mm -hmm. place between Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association, which they were not able to come to an agreement on a new CBA. So uh, Rob Manfred has decided to lock out uh, the players. But could there be more underneath the surface that people aren't aware of? Uh, Yeah, that's right. There is another thing to talk about besides the lockout and it is actually something that uh rob manfred had admitted to the other day uh we will get to that in in just a bit we have the college football playoff uh seemingly coming into shape here uh with a whole bunch of conference championship games taking place today uh currently we have Michigan with a 14 to 3 lead over Iowa and this could be very crucial depending on what happens uh as a result of today of uh the game that's currently going on right now. Uh we also have uh some big shakeups uh that have taken place in college football regarding the uh coaching carousel oh, that we will get to. Uh right. so for anybody who wants to join us, you can call in at 657-383-1308. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by Lou. Uh, and just before before we begin, a reminder, if you haven't done so yet, you can subscribe to the Missy AE podcast by going to blogtalkradio.com slash Missy AE. You can also find us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Just by searching Missy AE, you'll get access to all of our content, Uh, Survivor, Big Brother. We've even done uh, amazing race recaps as well. Uh, And obviously our sports shows that we do do every uh, Saturday night. Uh, But, Lou, let's get started. Uh, I mean, uh, we have obviously college football. Uh, yes, doing their uh, conference uh, their conference championships today. Uh, right. What what do you think was perhaps the biggest surprise uh, that we've seen take place in these uh, in, in this, these uh, championships? Bama being in Georgia, I I thought really Georgia was going to beat them, but uh, they came and gave them an ass whooping, much to my surprise. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder, Lou. Could, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, Bama really exposed Georgia's defense in this matchup. Yes. Is it is it possible that maybe Georgia benefited from having an easier schedule? Thus, why I don't mind that stuff. Easy schedule. I mean, you you get what the schedule gives you. Thing. There's, I don't believe this is thing is an easy schedule. I don't buy. I don't buy into that theory. You know, no, I mean, you get what, I mean, let's, you get let's what take, it gives you, and that's how it goes. I mean, let's take a look at their schedule that they've had this year. They and okay. this is uh, keep in mind, keep in mind the seeds 
are the seeds that had started are where are where the teams were at that current time. Uh, they started off the season with a ten to three win over third ranked Clemson. And keep in mind, obviously, uh, people yes. were were still rating Clemson high because of the fact that they were coming off of you know the Trevor Lawrence era. Right. Right. So. Nobody knew that Clemson was going to devolve into the, well, the dumpster fire that they were this season. Uh, This was Mm. obviously before any of that uh, came into play. Uh, Then they had a blowout win over UAB. They had a blowout win over South Carolina. They had a blowout win over Vanderbilt. Not really much competition Mm -hmm. there. Uh, they had yeah. a blowout win. They had a blowout win over eighth-ranked Arkansas, but then again, we saw Arkansas to close out the season. They almost beat Alabama, losing by only seven points. Uh, so mm-hmm. clearly, the Arkansas Razorbacks that faced Georgia were a much different team compared to the Arkansas Razorbacks that we saw to end the season. Yeah. Uh, then they had a 34-10 to 10 win over 18th-ranked Auburn, uh, a 30-13 to 13 win over 11th-ranked Kentucky. They blew out Florida 34-7, blew out Missouri 43-6, blew out Tennessee 41-17. They blew out uh, – which one is this? <laughs> Oh, Char- Charleston Southern, they blew out 56-7. to They blew out yeah. uh, Georgia Tech 45 nothing to basically finish the regular season with a perfect record at 12-0 and before losing to Alabama 41-24 to earlier today. And, Lou, it, it just really seemed like Alabama was uh, – I mean, apart from – the loss to Texas A&M, forty-one to thirty-eight this season. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's 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 like people were sleeping on Alabama this year. It's like people forgot that Alabama, they literally just won a national title last year, and you know they're pretty much the same Alabama as they have been throughout this entire this entire dynasty that's been that uh Nick Saban has built. So, you know, I I, I wanna actually walk back some things that I said last week about Bryce Young. Uh yeah. Bryce Young really showed Br- Bryce Young really showed what type of quarterback he is this week. For, uh, by setting a new setting a new record for the SEC title game with 421 passing yards, which that breaks Mac Jones's record that was set last year. Uh, He also had three touchdowns or four, actually, if you count the rushing touchdown that he also had today. So I think if anything, this was a statement maker by Bryce Young to potentially be the Heisman trophy winner this year. Right, what what are your thoughts, Lou, uh, on this uh, on this Alabama beatdown? It was a beatdown, right? I mean, I looked close in the beginning, but 
I'll just say that Georgia got his defense exposed, and Alabama wasn't going to do it. I mean, you know, Alabama got so much on defense this year that I really didn't think they were going to have much of a chance, you know, to stand up against uh, Georgia because Georgia has this, does have a strong defense. So I thought, you know, that was how that was going to play out. But it, but um, it turned out that Alabama found a way to expose expose their defense. And that's how they will take care of that. Somehow I think yeah. maybe Saban might have something up a sleeve. So he put all the stops, and that's how they that's how they went. Now the thing is, where does Georgia fall uh, into the picture now? Since they did lose to Bama in considerable fashion, where would they end up? Would they still be in the top four, or do you think they they just uh, got themselves out? Oh no, they're definitely in the top four. I, aha, uh-huh. you know. It would be an ultimate upset because yeah, because the, the next the next team up is Notre Dame with uh, yes. with Oklahoma State with Oklahoma State losing today. Uh, Notre Dame would be the next team up, and I would find it very hard to see the committee putting in Notre Dame over Georgia. I think if anything. The furthest that Georgia falls is to the number two or number three spot. Because keep in mind, they they lost to an elite team today. And yes, they did. And if certain things fall a certain way, maybe perhaps the score would would have been closer than forty one twenty four. So, considering the fact that Georgia was undefeated the entire year uh, leading up to today's loss. And the fact that the uh, as far as the uh, the strength of the opponent that they lost to being Alabama, something tells me that it, Georgia's not going to fall that far. If anything, they may fall to mm-hmm. the number two or number three spot. Especially considering what, uh, depending on what happened. Well, if Michigan, Michigan wins, I don't Iowa. think they'll get number two. No. I think it's possible, actually, that Michigan may move up to number one if Michigan beats Iowa. Hmm, even though Georgia, won, even though that uh, Alabama won today, wow. Yeah, even though even though Alabama won, I just with Michigan knocking on the door, uh, uh, currently sitting at number two, it would be very. It, 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 well, I shouldn't say very. It would be kind of hard. To see Alabama leapfrogging not just Georgia but also Michigan when Michigan was already ahead of Alabama. Then again, give me you know obviously keep in mind Alabama beat a a very a very good team in Georgia this year and. I mean Georgia had the number one ranked defense. For you to beat the number one ranked defense, and you know Alabama wasn't that, that wasn't that much worse. Alabama had the number four ranked defense heading into today. Uh, considering you put up forty one points on the number one ranked defense in the in the uh, in college football, that honestly is what sort of is what sort of distinguishes them from Michigan when it comes to right. a potential number one bid. So I would probably still rank Michigan at number two and 
I mean, because, you know, earlier I posted in Sports Whispers that I I would have – I would I would have Alabama at number one. I would have Georgia at two, Michigan at three, and Cincinnati at four. But because of now, now that I think about it a little bit a little bit more, would it really make sense for Michigan to get leapfrogged when? Yeah. I mean, you know, Alabama. Yeah, you could you know you could make an argument for for Alabama uh, with the performance they put up today to go up to number one. But would it make sense for Michigan to be leapfrogged by Georgia, considering the fact no. that Georgia uh, Georgia lost to Alabama? So, at, you know, at worst. I could see Georgia maybe falling to number three. I I ah. would find it hard to believe. I would find it hard to believe that they would fall to four because if Bama is at one, they would want to save the they would they would want to save the potential rematch between Alabama and Georgia for the uh, for yeah. the national championship. I mean, just based off of ratings, you know, that would be a huge, a huge ratings get for college football to have Alabama against Georgia part two for the, yes. for the final. So I think it's more, more than likely, uh, barring some sort of collapse by Michigan, we'll probably see Alabama at one, Michigan at two, Georgia at three and Cincinnati at four. And the, the reason why I'm I'm still putting Cincinnati in there is, you know, yeah, they won today, but I find it hard to believe they won against against 21st ranked Houston, which I mean, obviously they should, because if you're losing to 21st ranked to a 21st ranked team as a number four team, then you shouldn't even be in the discussion. Uh, no. But, you know, Cincinnati, I mean, let's face it, Cincinnati, yeah, Cincinnati's 13-0. But, I mean, come on, they they are coming out of the AAC. Yeah. If they were to face off against Georgia or Alabama, they would probably get crushed. More than likely. But, you know, that that's that's where my rankings would be. I would, I would probably have Alabama at one, Michigan at two, Georgia at three and Cincinnati at four. Uh, Obviously if Michigan loses, it's entirely possible. Michigan may completely drop out period. And we may see Notre Dame potentially sneak in at number four with Cincinnati moving up to three. Right, what what are your thoughts, Lou? Where do you see uh, the college? Depending on what happens with Michigan, where do you see uh, the college football playoff uh, final standings looking like? I see Alabama at number one. I see Michigan probably at number two. Um, I would think Georgia number three, but number four would be a tough one. Um, Cincinnati might have put a case with their win today, so maybe Cincinnati might take the fourth spot. 
Well, they were already in the fourth spot anyways, so, I mean, they would basically stay at number four. And plus, Notre Dame doesn't do itself any favors by not getting a championship game. So, you know, Notre Dame's hopes pretty much rely on Michigan getting upset by Iowa in this matchup here, which so far, I mean, Michigan's – leading by 11 right now, 14 to three. So I don't know if I would, uh, you know, I, you know, I don't know if I would be feeling good if I was a, uh, if I was a fan of the, uh, of the fighting Irish. Yeah, I wouldn't either. So yeah, it looks, it looks like the, the way, the way we, we have laid it out here is probably, I would, I would probably see it looking like that. Though I wouldn't be shocked, though, if maybe perhaps uh, it's flipped and maybe Georgia goes two and, uh, you know, Michigan goes three. I would be shocked if Georgia falls all the way to four, though, because I really don't – I don't think they would want that rematch to happen immediately Mm. between Alabama and Georgia. Uh, we also, uh, obviously, we we had some other uh, games take place today, or games that are currently taking place. Obviously, Michigan and Iowa. Uh, currently, Wake Forest is leading Pittsburgh 20, 21 to fourteen in the Subway ACC championship game. Uh, some finals from earlier today: Baylor upset uh, fifth-ranked Oklahoma State for the Big Twelve championship by a score of 21 to 16 uh, following a fourth down, uh, a fourth down uh, attempt by Oklahoma state to try and get into the end zone. And they were unsuccessful in doing so, thus stealing the win officially for Baylor who finishes at 11 and two for the year. Uh, Utah state unranked Utah state upset uh, 19th ranked San Diego State in the Mountain West yeah. championship game today, 46 to 13. Uh, also, Louisiana beat Appalachian State 24-16 in the Sun Belt Conference championship game as well. Uh, we also had a game yesterday that saw any hope of Oregon potentially getting into the top four officially disintegrating. Mm-hmm. With Oregon losing to Utah thirty-eight to uh, thirty-eight to ten in the Pac-12 championship game, but it you know obviously it's one thing to talk about uh, the games that have been ongoing that have been ongoing this week. However, there is the need to talk about the coaching carousel and. Yes. It seeming it seemingly exploded last week following uh as we went off the air because yeah, there are quite a few big names changing teams. In particular, following the loss to Oklahoma State, Oklahoma head coach Lincoln Riley informed his staff that he would be leaving for the head coaching vacancy at USC. Yes. And 
Uh, I, you know, we had, we had talked about how supposedly there was breaking news that uh, it was expected that Lincoln Riley would be jumping over to LSU. That, of course, ended up not happening as he vehemently denied any interest in LSU. And then the very next day, it was announced that he would be jumping ship over to USC, which, I mean, looking at looking at Lincoln Riley, you know, he saw that Oklahoma was headed to the SEC, and he's like, well, shit, I got to do something quick and jump off this train as quickly as possible uh, because, as we've mentioned before, the SEC is a completely different beast compared to what he's used to uh, – what he's used to yeah. coaching uh, in the Big 12. But uh, USC, they've only been to one bowl game in each of the last four se- – or in within the last four seasons, and they haven't had a double-digit win since 2017. Uh, yeah. They now get a head coach in Lincoln Riley, who went 55-10 and 10 since joining Oklahoma in 2017. Uh, he has led – the Sooners to bowl eligibility in each of his five seasons and had them ranked as high as number two in the top 25 polls. Uh, they have won, they have also won four straight big 12 championships uh, before, obvi- you know, obviously uh, losing to Oklahoma state last week. Uh, however, in his four bowl game appearances, uh, Riley uh, was just one in three with Oklahoma, which include losses to Georgia, Alabama, and LSU. Uh, he did beat Florida, though, 55-20 to 20 in the Cotton Bowl last season. And Riley will also get a young quarterback in Jackson Dart to begin building his offense around as – the Trojans will look to bounce back from their four and seven record that they finished with this season. However, I have also read as well that uh, one of Lincoln Riley's uh, commitments that he had uh, that he had gotten for Oklahoma, I believe it's a five star uh, a five star quarterback. I think is supposedly yeah. ju- is supposedly jumping ship from Oklahoma and following him to USC. So that could be something to keep an eye on moving forward uh, for, for Lincoln Riley's early uh, tenure with USC. Uh, so what are your thoughts, Lou, on, on Lincoln Riley leaving the Big 12 to head over to USC? Because – didn't it seem like LSU would have been the higher-profile job to go after? Exactly. I thought so, too. Yeah, yeah, he's jumping ship there. So uh, that is kind of a big a bit of a surprise there for that. You know, I didn't – but at least he was telling his team that he was moving on. Oh, like some we know. Which would be what? Kelly leaving Notre Dame. Oh yes, yes, exactly. Uh, with Brian Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame to uh, join LSU, uh, and he also apparently hasn't really made that many friends in his early uh, in his early LSU days, as he's already fired their longtime strength and conditioning coach, 
that brought LSU three national titles over his tenure uh, as their strength and conditioning coach. But uh, Brian Kelly, he jumps to LSU uh, from, over from Notre Dame. Uh, his deal is reportedly worth $95 million plus incentives over the next 10 years. And in 31 years as a head coach, Brian Kelly is two, has – has a uh, record of 284 wins, 97 losses, and two draws over uh, 31 years as a head coach, which gives him more active wins than any other coach in the FBS. 12, well, technically it's 11 more now than uh, than Nick Saban with uh, Alabama winning earlier today. Now, obviously, Lou, I have a feeling you have a lot to say about uh, about Brian Kelly uh, leaving Notre Dame. Well, first of all, I think it was wrong they didn't tell us they didn't tell us players that he was leaving. You know, in person, he did it the cowardly way by you know telling an Instagram or text message or whatnot. No, you don't do that. You tell him face to face. I mean, that's ridiculous. The way he did. I mean, you put together a great team, a great run, and that's how you sign off. Uh, no, that wasn't a very classy act by him. Yeah, he took the and easy the, way out. The cowardly way out. Well, yeah, you can you can put it that way as well. But um, you know, I mean, especially with the with the chance that maybe perhaps Notre Dame may get into the college football playoff, and I doubt it. I seriously doubt it. Well, if they I mean, lose at this Cincinnati, point, yeah. yes. If, you know, I mean, I mean, at this at this point, yeah. You know, it's uh, with with how Michigan is playing so far, it looks like it's likely that Michigan is gonna be is gonna be able to uh, to hang on to the lead here and and end up beating Iowa tonight. But I mean, with with Notre Dame even having a potential chance. To get into the college football playoff, I mean, what, you know, this is what I don't understand about uh, about you know college teams. Yeah. I, I, okay. Okay. I mean, you know, most uh, for most of these teams, their season's over unless they've been uh, invited to a bowl game. But you know, even with the bowl games, wouldn't you wait until the bowl games are over? Before you would agree to any, uh, before you would either agree to any deals, or if you're a team, yes. pursue any other any other people. Of course, I would wait till the bowl season's over. But some people just uh, don't do. But some people just don't want to do that, which is wrong. I mean, it just it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, although may, maybe it's because. You know these uh, some of these jobs are like hotcakes, where mm. they won't be you know they won't be on the market for that long, so you know teams will want to get those coaches as quickly as possible as quickly as they possibly can. But throughout his time at Notre Dame. Uh, Brian Kelly had a 92 and 39 combi- uh, combined record between uh, the conferences that 
you know, they were in the Division One FBS uh, before they spent one year in the ACC, and then they moved back to uh, the FBS again uh, this past season. And now he takes over an LSU team that is, well, I mean, uh, I, I, I don't know what you could what you could say about uh, about the state of this LSU team because uh, considering where they were under coach o, uh, under coach O, you know, they're a couple of, a couple of uh, yeah. years removed from you know from being national champions. And now all of a sudden, you know, you had players who didn't want to play for their coach. Uh, you know, it's it's a, it's looking like a, like a very rocky landscape right now at LSU. However, yeah. it is a highly coveted job. They're in one of the toughest conferences in, uh, in the, uh, if not the toughest conference in college football, being the SEC. How do you think uh, Kelly will handle the transfer? Do you think, uh, do you think he, he'll be able to at least bring LSU closer to uh, to, cont- to being back in the college football playoff uh, conversation again, or I I do uh, I do with the way they've been, you know how they how they've been. Uh, Kelly has the coaching experience; he knows how to put a winning team together. So yeah, I do think that LSU could be in serious contention next year since he's uh, moving moving into that. So it's very it's very possible. Yeah, and plus, you know, he is going to have uh, some of those players who ended up opting out of this season and instead uh, electing to have their surgeries instead of uh, instead of being it because supposedly these players would be would have been able to play through some of their injuries that they uh, that they had and they could have put off you know surgery until the until their uh, off seasons, but. Because they didn't want to play for Coach O, they decided to go to opt for to to do their surgeries, and you know miss out on the rest of the season. Now there's a chance that maybe perhaps some of those players will be back next year, which mm-hmm. of course will open up uh, the opportunity for. LSU to get back to where they to, to where they once were. Now, will the you know will we see a different a difference in the team because of the change of uh, coaching philosophy going from Coach O to to uh, Brian Kelly? I don't know, but uh, you know it's considering what Kelly did at, at Notre Dame and the fact that they were, they were in the college football playoff last year, weren't they? If I recall correctly. And you have. So, you know, it's, it's entirely possible that we, that, you know, we may, we may potentially see, uh, LSU get back to the team that they uh, get back to the team that they were. So 
Uh, and actually, you know, I was wrong. They uh, they were ranked number five last year. So they right. well, actually, no, no, they, no, they did make it to the college football playoff. Uh, they lost in the Rose Bowl though to Alabama. So, um, so they were they were in the college football playoff last year under Kelly. But yeah, you know, without with LSU getting a new head coach in Kelly, maybe perhaps. Uh, that will help propel them uh, to get back into into contention for the uh, college football playoff. Now, uh, one coach who is not leaving uh, is Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, as yeah. reportedly uh, he has agreed to a contract extension that will put him as the head coach of the Rebels through the 2025 season, according to Sports Illustrated. And, you know, Kiffin, he he has taken Ole Miss uh, to the New, York, the New Year's Six Bowl for the first time since uh, the 2015 season uh, when yeah. – Ole Miss won the Sugar Bowl over Oklahoma State. Uh, second, his second year at Ole Miss this year, he led the Rebels to a ten and twelve or uh, ten and twelve, ten and two record this year. Uh, the first ten win regular season in program history for Ole Miss. Um, and considering that Alabama beat Georgia today. Uh, it's possible that it might be a Sugar Bowl appearance uh, for Ole Miss. Yeah. From what it sounds like here. So, you know, Lane Lane Kiffin, he's really done a good job of uh, turning around, uh, you know, this this Ole Miss program. And, you know, obviously – he he's definitely a fit for uh, for Ole Miss from what we've uh, from what we've seen. Uh, he helped turn them around la- uh, following last year after uh, having a five and five record in his first season for uh, for Ole Miss with a uh, four and five in the conference. Uh, they did end up winning the Outback Bowl last year, though. Outback Bowl. Uh, so. He improved them to second in the – or wait, no, this can't be. Wait. Oh, okay, second in the West. Uh, the I, I forget the SEC is divided between West and East. Uh, he right. Brought, he, brought them, he brought them to all the way from fifth to second in the uh, Western part of the SEC. So – it looks like, you know, whatever whatever Lane Kiffin has done at Ole Miss, it's definitely uh convinced them to to sign him to a four year extension. That's one name uh that can be taken off of uh you know, off of the uh coaching carousel. Uh we do have some other uh some other notable uh, notable universities. First off, the University of Florida. Uh, they have penned Louisiana head coach Billy Napier as the next head coach for the Florida Gators. 
after he was pinpointed as a favorite to land the job earlier in the week. Uh, the news was broken by Yahoo Sports' Pete Thamel, uh, who broke the, the story uh, early in the afternoon last Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, he led the Ragin' Cajuns to an 11-1 and record, uh, including a perfect 8-0 and record in conference play this year. And actually, technically, they're 12-1 and because they, uh, they did win against Appalachian State earlier today. Um, he, and also at Louisiana, he has won 10 or more games in three of his four seasons at Louisiana, but he could have as many as 13 wins uh, if he coaches the team in its final two games. And he is 2-1 and one in bowl games and has a career record of, well, now it's a career record of 40-12 and 12, uh, since joining the uh, Ragin' Cajuns. Obviously, uh, you know, he's going to be going over to the Florida Gators and considering he's jumping uh, into a different conference, you know, the Gators, they finished at six and six this year. Uh, Obviously, you know, there, there was a need for, uh, for a change at head coach and, just looking at what he's been able to do out in Louisiana, you know, guiding them to a 12 and one record after their win over Appalachian state today. Do you think it's possible that Napier could be the answer uh, in, in Florida? Well, Florida does need a lot of help. I mean, they're not a power that they used to be. So I think with this change, maybe Napier could bring them, you know, like a somewhere respectable level. I don't know about getting to a championship, but at least it'd be better than no. they've been doing now. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 I'm not. I'm not. I'm not at all saying you know, as far as championships or playoff right. berths go, but you know, at least getting them to a somewhat respectable. Uh, yes. Maybe. Maybe. Perhaps making the SEC look even. Uh, even closer than it is now, you know, with the S- the SEC is already the toughest conference to play in. Yes. Uh, you know, the fact that the fact that Florida finished at six and six this year, you know, may, maybe perhaps they could improve under, uh, under Napier. You know, it's the one thing that we will really see with uh, not just Napier, but also, uh, also Brian Kelly coming in is, is we'll we'll get to see just exactly how good a coach is when they move when they move conferences and in this case moving over to the SEC you'll actually fi- you'll finally get to see just exactly how good some of these coaches are depending on what they're able to do uh, how they're able to transform uh, their new their new teams with obviously LSU and with uh, with Florida now. So that'll be a, that'll be uh, an interesting little uh, little side story to follow uh, as we head into uh, 
into next year's uh, college football season. Uh, there is another coach uh, who is going nowhere after reportedly having calls from NFL teams uh, prior to making things official with this extension. Michigan State head coach Mel Tucker has signed a 10-year, $95 million extension uh, to remain the head coach of the Michigan State Spartans. And it is it is odd that he would receive calls about uh, his interest in potentially joining an NFL team, considering that the only team with a true head coaching vacancy as of now is the Vegas Raiders. So maybe perhaps that is uh, that's diving a little further in. Maybe perhaps could we expect uh, you know quite the uh, quite the Black Monday to potentially take place after this NFL season? Oh yeah, it's going to happen. The fact that Black they're, that they're diving up. into. I'm sorry. What, what was that, Lou? Black money will be here before you know it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially, especially when you consider how many uh, how many coaches are potentially on the hot seat. Uh, you know, Matt Rule is a potential option for uh, from from Carolina. Uh, Urban Meyer, you've got to think he's definitely on the hot seat. Uh, David Culley might be on the hot seat from uh, with how uh, with how poorly he has uh, he has handled Houston. Matt Nagy, even though he's been you know assured that he isn't uh, in danger of losing his job uh, this season, it's possible that maybe he might be on the hot seat. Uh, you know, there's there's quite a few options that you could potentially look at uh, when it comes to you know when it when it comes to some of these coaches. Joe Judge of the Giants, you know, you got to figure that uh, with him coming over from the Patriots, everybody was expecting him to. Uh, you know, to potential to turn this team this team around, and now with the uh, with the fact that uh, Dave Gettleman may not be uh, the general manager much longer, you you got to wonder if maybe perhaps the Giants will just want to clean house altogether. Get rid of Gettleman as much as quickly as possible. Um. Yeah, yeah, that's just uh, that's just been a gigantic disaster. Uh, yeah. You know, all around with the Giants. With the Giants organization, yeah, um, you know, there's needless to say, there's quite the, uh, you know, quite quite the bit of uh, coaches that are going to be on the hot seat this uh, this upcoming off season. Now, obviously, yeah. uh, Brian Flores, Brian Flores, he he originally would have been looking at uh, a potential ouster, but. Uh, his Dolphins have seemingly turned a corner uh, the last couple of weeks, so maybe perhaps uh, his job is at least somewhat safe for the time being. Uh, the yeah. same goes for Vic Fangio in Denver. Um, 
you know, regardless, though, there's still going to be a long list of coaching candidates uh, this offseason. And maybe perhaps, you know, maybe some of those coaches may opt to try and go back to college, to the college ranks, who knows. Uh, but Mel Tucker will not be one of those coaches, uh, you know, probably won't be one of those coaches that will be looked at uh, by NFL teams after signing this huge extension uh, with Michigan State. Uh, he did lead Michigan State to a 10-2 and record after uh, beating Penn State in the snow last weekend, 30-27. to um, Yeah. You know, right now Michigan State is trending upwards, so it's a good sign the fact that they're able to keep their uh, they're able to keep their head coach uh, under contract for uh, you know for this long uh, the next ten years at least. Uh, one other team that has also found themselves a new head coach, uh, SMU. The Mustangs will be hiring former offensive coordinator Rhett Lashley as their new head coach after Sonny Dykes appear, uh, appeared to agree to a deal with uh, TCU last week. Uh, Lashley does make a ton of sense uh, as a replacement as he was the offensive coordinator under Dykes uh, for the 2018 and 2019 seasons. Uh, he also recruited former four-star quarterback Preston Stone, who does remain to the, uh, with the team to this day as the backup to uh, Tanner Mordecai. Uh, despite an underwhelming season for Miami in 2021, Lashley's offense ranked 26th in the nation in points scored uh, at uh, 31 point or 34.1 points per game, um, as well as 19th in passing yards per game at 282.6, and 21st in total yards per game with 449.9 yards. Uh, freshman quarterback Tyler Van Dyke enjoyed a surprisingly successful season this year after being tasked with re- replacing uh, Derek King. Um. Van Dyke did complete 62.3% of his passes on the season for 2,931 yards with 25 touchdowns and six picks. So, Rhett Lashley, you know, him coming in to, to MSU or to SMU, he does have uh, his quarterback of the future. So, uh, maybe perhaps things potentially may be looking up uh, for SMU. Now, Oregon, after losing today, uh, they have a bit of a question mark as well. As Mm. their head coach, um, their head coach, Mario Cristobal, confirmed that he was offered an extension by Oregon, but also said he hasn't signed it yet and he does have other suitors. Now, he's been the head coach since 2018. And he has accrued a 35 and 13 record with the program. Uh, now that may obviously sound good on paper, but they haven't managed to make a college football playoff appearance yet in a questionable conference. And while they do have while they do have two Pac-12 titles and a Rose Bowl win, 
they were also summer, uh, summarily blown out by Utah twice to end this season. So considering they had an easy road to the college football playoff before those games, it's considered to be a tough pill to swallow uh, for Oregon. Yes. But uh, needless to say, though, they have offered Cristobal an extension, but he supposedly will listen to other op- to other offers. Uh, you know, the Miami Hurricanes job uh, is, a po- is a popular potential landing spot for him. Uh as he did happen to play as an offensive lineman there for four years. So uh, there could be questions as to whether or not uh, he will remain as Oregon's head coach. Now, as if that wasn't bad enough, Oregon, they also lost their offensive coordinator as Joe Moorhead has been officially announced as the new head coach of the Akron Zips. Um. Now, obviously, it's not exactly breaking news as uh, that was reported uh, quite a few days ago, actually, by Pete Thamel. Uh, But it is official. Uh, Moorhead's last head coaching stint was with Mississippi State uh, for two years between 2018 and 2019. Uh, And now he's tasked with the uh, opportunity to write an Akron program that went 2-10 and ten last year, including losing yeah. their last six games in a row. Now, he, has ha- he does have a great pedigree, though, uh, having been a coach and a coordinator at some very high-profile schools like Oregon and Penn State. Uh, he also received P5 uh, head coaching offers as well, but he has decided uh, to go to the Zips, who he does have uh, a history with. And also to round out the college football news, uh, Duke and their head coach, David Cutcliffe, have agreed to part ways after 14 seasons. Uh, the Blue Devils went 3-9 and nine under him this past season. Uh, his first head coaching gig came in 1999 after he led Ole Miss to a win in the Independence Bowl as an interim coach back in 1998. Uh, He did coach coach Ole Miss from 1999 to 2004, and he was hired as the head coach of Duke back in 2008. Now, in his career at Duke, he went 77-97, and posting winning seasons in five of his 14 years, which included a nice three-year stretch back from 2013 to 2015, where the Blue Devils went 27-13 and with three bowl appearances. And it looks like he may not be a head coach wherever he lands. Uh, he could potentially yeah. be in the market uh, to be an offensive coordinator or a quarterback's coach from what it sounds like now let's go into major league baseball because oh boy uh, yeah needless to say uh there is a lot of shit to dig through here um first one obviously we have uh the lockout where 
you know, we talked about this last week, and there were reportedly multiple meetings that were held between the players' union and the league this past week. The shortest, the shortest of them all was seven minutes long. In which You're not going to make progress with that. No, in which both sides basically looked at each other and laughed, uh, essentially. <laughs> You know, when it comes to basically, they ha- they haven't hesitated in blaming each other in blaming each other for for the reason why the collective bargaining agreement wasn't uh, wasn't agreed to. Uh, yeah, exactly. Now, exactly, the bargaining is collective bitching. Collect, yeah, the collective bitching agreement. It should basically be called at this Thank point. Thank you. Uh, but they did. It did expire uh, at midnight mm-hmm. on December first, and uh, Rob Manfred made the official announcement by saying that this defensive lockout was necessary because the players' association's vision for Major League Baseball would threaten the ability of most teams to be competitive. It's simply not a viable option. From the beginning, the MLBPA has been unwilling to move from their starting position, compromise, or collaborate on solutions. Uh, obviously, like but I mentioned, but the thing is, this has been going for two years, and you couldn't come up with an agreement through all this time. Are you people that stupid? You probably are, but it ju- it just se- it just seems to me, Lou, that the owners, or not just the owners, but the league. You know they were yeah. willing to just go to, to just go to a lockout this entire time. And you know the the, the seven minute meeting, you know on Wednesday, which you know is not a good sign there. You know just like you know basically they're just gonna say you know forget this. Or in the case of um, the cartoon of South Park, screw this, I'm going home. And that's exactly what they did in just seven minutes. I'm like I'm getting the hell out of here. I'm going to Florida for the winter vacation. Yeah, to me, to me, it just—if you're gonna waste fans' time and literally only meet for seven minutes—I mean, they did, they did. Uh, I forget if it was Wednesday or if it was Tuesday, but they did have a meeting before. Wednesday. Yeah, I know there was the seven-minute meeting on Wednesday, but I believe they did have a meeting before that seven-minute meeting. Yes, yes, they did. So Now, the thing was, you know, there might have been a few hints, you know, from uh, behind closed doors, as they say, because they were, um, uh, you know, throwing all this money around the center players saying, here, take the offer. So maybe we thought there would have been a glimmer of hope then, and then this gets thrown back in their faces, and then you went from maybe a possible solution to have to go back to square one all over again. You get good, you know, good son of a, you know. Yeah. Needless to say, you had the deal practically, you know, you had the palm of your hand, you blew it. Yeah. You know, from 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 what I've heard is that there wasn't really any progress whatsoever that was made. No. Uh, between both sides. And now this leads the league to its first work stoppage since the 1994-1995 season. And Uh, we all remember how that turned out. 
Yes, it's something I like to forget because that destroyed baseball's credibility, at least for a while. Yes. You know that destroyed their credibility. I mean, now, now, just imagine what it's going to be like now. Yeah, shit. I mean, the thing was As they if, were able to, you know, solve it in, in 2001 because the agreement was expired then. But they say that 9/11 bought some more time. But the other said that, um, you know, if we get another work stoppage, another 9/11 is not going to help save us. You can't blame 2020 because that was, of course, you know, a freak of nature. That's what caused that. And COVID. But then, yeah, you can call it what you want, but I call it freak of nature, COVID, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah. you know, they, and then they were griping about how they're going to play this season, and it cost, they cost them a lot of money. It cost them 162, 102 games or so of the season that year, and that was kind of messed up. So maybe you thought they would have learned from that, from that, from that uh, unfortunate incident, but no, they still went. They still bitched to complain, and they drove into this. And now they're now neither side is speaking to each other. And I don't going to speak to each other until at least uh, before spring training. I think we're going to be in for a very long, long off season. Oh boy, this is just. But yeah. like I said, as disappointing and sad as it is, I speak for all baseball fans. We knew this was coming. Oh yeah, definitely. No, we knew this was well, we knew I this did. was a long time. Uh, I I had a feeling. I mean, I didn't exactly know it was coming, but I had a feeling just based off of uh, how long it took them to even come to an agreement when it came to uh, COVID. You know, like you said, they missed. They ended up missing like a hundred and two games or something. Uh, because it took them that long to agree to a new deal when it came to, uh, you know, once COVID struck. Uh, But, I mean, this, you know, this has the possibility, this has the possibility to do, to deal significant damage to the sport. No shit. Um, You know, and it's not, it's not just that, you know, let me bring up, Bring it, it's funny I, that we talk about this. Let's bring up this side option here. So, okay, not only is there no collective bargaining agreement, which, by the way, uh, apparently they still could have moved forward with no collective yes. bargaining agreement. They still could have moved forward. They they didn't have to lock out the players. You know, everything still could have moved forward while a collective bargaining agreement was being negotiated. However, yes, because if you remember, you know, if you remember, um, back in the when the when the uh, '94 strike uh, was over, thanks to a few uh, outside sources, they did continue to play without a collective bargaining agreement because the collective bargaining agreement was not signed until after the World Series of 1996, which the Yankees won. Thank you very much. And you know they went on for a whole year and a half without it, and they said that they could be able to. A lockout, a lockout is not was not mandatory. They would be able to play under uh, the the current CBA, but they decided against it. So once again, you all screwed yourselves. You dumbass. Yeah, you know it just it, it just makes me wonder if they had any other commissioner. Uh, you know, like if for example, if Bud Selig was still the commissioner. If maybe perhaps if perhaps baseball would if if they would potentially be playing even 
if there wasn't a CBA yes. uh, agreement. Yes, I think they would have. I mean, as much as I don't like, uh, as much as I didn't like Bloodsfield, but then again, you know, I think be a far cry better than Gary Bettman, who was, of course, the Antichrist. But, uh, you know, because he had destroyed, because he had destroyed much of the NHL's credibility with three lockouts and one yeah. canceled season. So, you know, based on that alone, you know, I mean, however, I think commissioners are. However, go ahead. However, no, you were saying however. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I was running your however. I, well, I'm trying. I'm trying to introduce. I'm trying to introduce. Though uh, it's bad enough that we don't have a collective bargaining agreement, and there is a lockout. Right. However, there is a new detail which may actually dive even deeper into potential oh. corruption by Major League Baseball. Yep. And I don't know if you've heard about this yet, Lou. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, of course. You know, obviously, of course, that Major League Baseball does own Rawlings, right? Yes. Which is the producer, yes. which is the producer and creator of ba- of uh, the baseballs that they use. Right. Right. There was an expose that was unveiled earlier this week mm-hmm. uh, by a writer by a writer known uh, as Bradford William Davis and uh-huh. Davis uncovered Davis uncovered that unbeknownst to players coaches scouts and executives major league baseball used two different baseballs this year mm. each each was designed to perform differently the lighter ball was deadened, which would make it more pitcher-friendly. It was supposed to replace the juiced balls of recent years, which had heavier centers and led to an abundance of offensive power. However, uh-huh. however, physicist Dr. Meredith Wills analyzed over 100 baseballs from 15 major league ballparks and found that Rawlings went back and forth on making two different kinds of baseballs since 2018. In short, short, after the 2021 season began with decreased offensive numbers and several no-hitters, Major League Baseball went back to the juiced balls that made the game extremely hitter-friendly. After they were presented with Wills' research this past week, MLB admitted that they used two types of baseballs this year. However, they blamed the coronavirus pandemic for production delays, and I use that term loosely in quotations, production delays that led to Rawlings distributing old excess inventory along with the new. Now, Can I this sum that up in one word? Now, this explanation would make word? sense. Go ahead, Lou. Can I sum that up for you in one word? Ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, that explanation would make sense. However, the baseballs are each marked with batch numbers which prove when they were made. 
and Wills noted uh-huh. that several of the and Wills noted that several of the balls had batch numbers that post date MLB's switch to the deadened balls. Dumb. And Davis also spoke to several players as well as MLB employees at various levels. Each said each said that they didn't know or they took the diplomatic route and kept mum, which in itself speaks volumes. Yes. Now, obviously baseballs are the key tool of, of the of the trade of baseball, so the decision to alter their construction impacts every single player's career. And yet mm-hmm. Davis said and yet Davis said that none of the people he spoke to had even been informed of the changes. One scout told Davis that it was a big yes. breach of competitive integrity in his eyes. Mm-hmm. And Adam Adovino uh, was actually quoted as saying, everything in this game is based on your statistics. There's a million of them. If the variables are being changed out from underneath you and in an unfair way, that sheds doubt on every statistic that you have. So there's already a a serious lack of trust between the players and the league with the league making decisions and now with the league Mm -hmm. making decisions that directly impact the players on field success without informing them, that only furthers further fractures the relationship that the two sides even have. And it's the situation only reaffirms that MLB considers themselves to be the puppet master and the players are simply put their puppets. Yeah. That's the way to describe it. All right. So, I mean, Lou, don't you think that this does even further damage than what a lockout is going to do? The shit has just hit the fan. I mean, the fact that... The fact that they would basically be manipulating how a season is going to go by using different baseballs at any point in time. So... You know, you almost have to wonder. Like, like let's take uh, let's take Shohei Otani for example. He had forty two homers this year, and he was known for basically. Actually, let me look this up. Let me make sure I have I have the right stats here. Um, All right, no, no, he had 46 homers this year uh, while batting 257 for the uh, Angels. Yes. Previously to this year, his his record was 22 homers that he that he had uh, in his first year back in 2018. Doesn't it kind of seem like maybe perhaps could he have potentially benefited by maybe of uh, Major League Baseball trying to raise certain players' stats uh, based off of uh, based off of players that could potentially be marketable. I mean, think about it. Shohei Otani, yes. he's very marketable to the Japanese market. 
Right. You know, you want to bring in fans from multiple, uh, you know, from multiple uh, cultures uh, around the world. And, you know, with Shohei Otani being such a huge, a, hu- a huge star in Japan. Right. Now, obviously, obviously playing in America for, for the Angels. I mean, doesn't that doesn't doesn't that basically give Major League Baseball the incentive to oh you know now perhaps we're going to uh, you know we can we can now you know we we should probably help him raise some of his stats. Yeah, raise some of his stats. Now that's a new one. Well, you know, just uh, I mean, obviously, there, like I said, there there were some balls that were used that were very pitcher friendly, and there were other balls that were used that were very hitter friendly. Yeah. Now let me see if I can. I want to I want to check something because there's a there's another another uh, prime uh, another prime example here. I want to see if this makes sense though. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I'm gonna throw this one out because Hunter Renfro, he's been. Yeah, no, I'll throw right. that example out because uh, I was I was thinking maybe using Hunter Renfro of the Boston Red Sox as an example because of the fact of how yes. big of a power hitter he was this year. But technically, he was also that kind right. of power hitter uh, with uh, with the San Diego Padres as well. So that's kind of thrown out the window um but also when you take into account as well that now just like the nfl major league baseball also is involved with uh, with multiple gambling partnerships as well Uh and now using two uh, uh using two kinds of baseballs could potentially manipulate sports betting and tip the scales in a specific direction. And it would be kind of hypocritical. It would be appallingly hypocritical for a league famous for the 1919 Black Sox scandal, as well as the lifetime banning of Pete Rose because of the fact that he gambled on his own games, uh, you know, for them to now be able to tip the scale in a way that, uh, you know, to alter – the way games are going at any point in time that they want to, you know, it wouldn't really be hard for them to pull it off though, with major league baseball owning Rawlings that creates the baseballs. And also it's, no, it this kind of ties in as well to the foreign substance ban for pitchers. That, uh, think about that. Happened. Yeah that happened in the middle of the season. You know, he cracked down on, uh, Rob Manfred cracked down on pitchers in the middle of the season for using foreign substances mm-hmm. to improve their grip on the baseball. Several pitchers got suspended. Others were mocked for their struggles as well as elevated ERAs after the change. Uh, you know, that situation sent shockwaves through the game. But yet, meanwhile, behind the scenes, the league had been providing two different baseballs without telling the players. And the increase 
in offensive output was a key reason why pitchers felt the need to get a better handle on the balls in the first place. So, in essence, Manfred was essentially punishing pitchers for a problem that his office secretly created. Now, obviously, there wow. should be consequences because of this. Uh, as a matter of fact, Davis noted, Davis noted that a former commissioner of Japan's NPB, uh, Nippon Professional Baseball League, uh, a former commissioner there resigned after a, simu- after a similar situation came to light when they had introduced juiced balls to yield more home runs, but they hadn't informed their players either. So that begs the question here, should Manfred resign or be removed in this case? I was going to say shoot him out of a cannon, but I think maybe um, – well, wait, can you fire a commissioner? I thought maybe he had to like, automatically uh, step down. I mean, I don't think you can fire him, right? Well, I think he can be removed uh, depending on a, a vote from the huh. uh, from the board, I think. I see. Well, I think they may have to come down to it because, uh, you know, this this was his fault. And, you know, this is something you can't blame the players on. Most of the time it's, you know, been the players' fault, they go on strike and whatnot. But this is completely, this is completely the complete stupidity, uh, you know, of Manfred. This is by his, oh, own, yeah, this exactly. is by his own greed, by greed and stupidity of the owners. That's what caused this. Exactly. You know, and I mean, keep the, uh, you know, never mind the owners. You know, the owners are one thing when it comes to the lockout. But, you know, Manfred has overseen this entire thing involving the baseballs, considering the fact that, you know, he is the commissioner of Major League Baseball. So, obviously, he would know that Rawlings was doing stuff like this. He would actually – actually, he would have ordered uh, the production of, of two different types of baseballs. You know, Rowlings wouldn't do this on their own without any sort of uh, authorization. So I, you know, I just find it, I just find it very hypocritical, the fact that, uh, you know, now that the fact that Major League Baseball is in a, is in a part, is in multiple partnerships with several gambling, uh, several gambling uh, industry, you know, with the gambling industry, and yet they still have that lifetime ban imposed on Pete Rose, among other things. Mm-hmm. And now with these, with, with the, uh, you know, with the news, with the news of the, of uh, baseballs being, uh, uh, being manipulated, it's entirely possible. He could basically determine how a season will unfold at any point in time that he wants. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it almost mm-hmm. kind of makes you wonder, Lou, how the yes. Yankees, how the Yankees with such yes. a huge, uh, with such a huge roster that they have, you yeah. know, a very, a very talented roster, a team that had been play had that had been to playoff after playoff in consecutive years. Now, all of a sudden sucked this year. With the yeah. same exact players. You 
You know, I yeah, you weren't I you almost, wonder with that with the same lineup, you know, it would get you know, I mean, they also had you know the 13 game winning streak, you know, back in uh, July and August that would have I think maybe would have made a dent in the standings for them to catch up. Maybe overtake uh, Boston and Tampa Bay, yet they still finished in third. Yeah, so they had that they had that 13 game winning streak, and now all of a sudden. You kind of have to wonder if Major League Baseball panicked and were like, "Shit, we can't have this happen. We need to, uh, you know, we want we want Tampa Bay to continue winning so that you know maybe perhaps they can draw fans to their stadium, which will ultimately yeah. help out the league in the long run. And with the Yankees potentially catching up to them, uh, you know." It almost makes you wonder if Major League Baseball altered certain games. Mm. History repeats itself. I you know, I obviously this just leaked this week, but I have a feeling it's mm-hmm. just going to get bigger and bigger. Oh yeah. I mean, and you know, uh, the accusations the National League making how Atlanta thing how um the rest of the National League East, you know, Fold up and die, and how the Braves were able to win the World Series. I mean, you know, I found it kind of ludicrous to be honest. You know how we all folded up and died. I mean, that is that is just one of the most ridiculous things I heard all year. I mean, yeah, well, purposely I mean, trying to tank. Well, that's a question in and of itself. You know, were teams purposely trying to tank, or was you know was there uh, were there other forces at play? Or maybe did injuries have uh, have something to do with? Uh... If it's injuries, that's one thing because you know, I mean, injuries are going to happen, you know. But it's happened to every team. Yeah. I mean, look at what Alcuna got hurt. When Alcuna got hurt, I thought they were, the whole team was finished. We all thought that. Nobody yeah. thought that Atlanta was going to come back from that. And they were, you know, below 500 until August. And then all of a sudden they go on this streak and they say, oh well, the rest the rest of the National League tank so that Atlanta can win. Come on. I mean, you know, you know, keep keep in mind also, you know, the Mets, they didn't have Noah Syndergaard. He was out for the year uh, with his uh, with his injury. Uh, you know, I guess there is the distinct possibility that maybe perhaps the, the National League East was affected by injuries legitimately. Yeah. And that may and have the been why. Injury. That's what that's what screwed him. When DeGrom, when DeGrom yeah. went down, that was it. Because, you know, when DeGrom was doing it, uh, the, you know, the, the Mets were, you know, riding high. They were uh, they were almost unstoppable at home in the first uh, half of the season. And then all of a sudden, those two injuries, and they weren't they had, they were the same since. I mean, they went from, uh, from high and mighty to crash and burn in a matter of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, needless to needless to say, you know, injuries definitely played a huge role. And also, oh, you know, I, I'll say that I'll say this, you know, when it comes to the Atlanta Braves, you know, I don't see why people are so pissed off that, you know, and wondering how they could have potentially won the World Series when yet people forget the moves that the Atlanta Braves made at the trade deadline. That's right. The fact that they. The fact that they got so many, uh, it, it, 
you know, it kind of reminds me of 2004 with the Boston Red Sox when they went out and got Orlando Cabrera. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. they got they got they got a couple of key players that ultimately ended up being the contributors in the postseason. Mm. Yeah, I know you're and a Red Sox fan, but that but that 2004 World Series just really that's really just bugged the hell out of me. Up three nothing in the series, and then choke signal, and the Boston went on to win that series and went on to win the World Series. I was like, oh my god. Well, hell, you know, think, think about how I felt with the uh, when it came to the Giants and the Patriots. You know, the Patriots right. led both of those Super Bowls. And it took one. It took one magical uh, helmet catch, and uh, right. and one other one other call that I for, I forget what it was, but I, I remember there was uh, oh uh, the missed the missed interception that was wide open, and Asante Samuel couldn't make the play, and ultimately that cost the Patriots uh, a Super Bowl there. You know, it's it, I, obviously, uh, you know, as as a Boston fan, and plus I can I can go back to the uh, to the Boston Bruins losing uh, the Stanley Cup to um, you know lo- losing the Stanley Cup to the Blackhawks and the St. Louis Blues. You know, there's certain plays. There's certain plays that you can look at that'll be that you can look at as the turning points of each of those series. So I could, you know, but when it comes to major league baseball though, I mean, it's the fact that this was even revealed. It it just makes you, and I know this is a very common phrase that we've said multiple times on this show, but it makes you wonder what else, is also going on underneath the surface. Oh, more than we oh, – there's got to be more, more than we don't know about. But I'm sure there's a lot more where this came from. You know, I, I almost wonder if this lockout uh, – I mean, obviously it's bad for the sport to begin with, but I wonder if there's even more stuff that's going to be dug out. You know, it's bad enough that we know about the the two different types of baseballs now, but I wonder if there's going to be even more stuff that's going to be revealed. Oh, just wait till the end that of the be- year. I think that I think that'll happen. I think it'll become reality. I wouldn't be surprised at that at all. Like I said, the shit's going to hit the fan, and it's going to be even hit even harder. Yeah, and also. Uh, According to uh, according to Rob Manfred, uh, he has said that there are no further meetings scheduled with the Players Association. Uh, um, and he was quoted as saying, "People need pressure sometimes to get to an agreement, but candidly, we didn't feel that sense of pressure on the other side during the course uh, of this week. The only tool available uh, available to you under the Act is." to apply economic leverage. It is our desire to get back to the table as quickly as we can. So it's your desire to get back to the table as quickly as possible, but yet you, but yet your, uh, your owners voted unanimously to start the lockout. 
to me, that's not that's not signaling a desire to get anything done. That's signaling a way for owners to potentially save money by not having to play or not having to pay the players. And, you know, it's even worse, too, that you have, you know, you have some injured players. Uh, you know, injured players are not allowed to use team facilities, including medical facilities, during this lockout. You know, they'll have to, uh, they'll have to be able to, uh, they'll, they'll have to organize the stuff on their own. You know, when it comes to rehab or training facilities and whatnot. Right, right. I mean, MLB was also so petty that they removed all all signs of any current players from their Major League Baseball website. Every website for every uh-huh. team. Like the player likenesses, the player photos, player videos, and yes. everything was removed from the Major League Baseball website and all the all the team sites. Also, okay. teams can no longer use play, uh, while this lockout is in effect. Teams cannot use players to advertise for the upcoming season and stuff like that. Yeah. It's going to be a long offseason. So I guess the question is, is it going to be weeks or is it going to be months of posturing between both sides? Oh, I think it's going to take months. I don't think, I don't think it's going to be a quick revolution, resolution here at all. I really don't. I think this is going to be a long, drawn-out, uh, you know, back-and-forth bitching, and, you know, it's, it's going to, you know, escalate. I mean, I would not be shocked at all. If, no. Uh, w- w- with the way that things have been described here uh, throughout this whole thing, I would not be shocked at all if this lockout lasts the entire season. You know, I well, originally when we I do have a little it, bit of origin- hope that thing would – that would uh, maybe revolve itself by uh, mid-season because I think MLB would be pretty stupid to have a drag on, you know, for the full season. But with these new allegations that are coming in, now it looks like maybe that could happen. And I'll tell you right now, if that does happen, you think fans are, you know, losing interest now, you wait and see if it, if it goes the full season, how many fans are going to want to come back because, you know, they are, exactly. they are really upset now, and I think they're going to be – well, let's just put it this way. You better go find yourself a good pot to piss in because you might need it. Yeah, exactly. If you if you if you didn't think I'll find one. that uh that if you didn't think that fans were didn't give a shit about baseball to begin with, now they're definitely <laughs> not gonna give a shit about baseball. Don't give two shits. You know, yeah, they're they're already gonna be moving on. They're already gonna be yeah. moving on to other sports. Yeah, well, wrestling. If you think, you know, this was bad, and if you think 94 was bad, you should have seen what was back in 81. That was bad enough. Yeah, I know you're I know you're younger, and you don't have a clue about that, but 1981 I, yeah, no, was I wasn't even, 81. I wasn't even around Oh, God, you are then. young. 
God, you are young. So let me I, let me I, I, was, I was in '92. Oh, when the Blue Jays won. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you were only a year old when that when that happened. Touch them all, Joe. Oh God, let me give me a break. So, anywho, once upon a time back in 1981, the owners and uh, players were grumbling as usual. And this was like the uh, fifth work stoppage in major history, and the strike went on from. Early June, and it didn't resolve until late August. But I mean, through that time period, I mean, the fans were pissed, and these and the owners and players were just barking at each other, and it, it didn't even look like it was going to be uh, resolved uh, the whole season. Luckily, in late August, they were able to resolve it, and they went into uh, they split up the divisions and, and whatnot, and playing it that way and finish up the season. But the whole thing was a mess. And, of course, it coincided with the worst of all when the Dodgers beat my Yankees. Thank you very much, you dirty, no good son of a bitch. Oh yes, and we had to lead two games to nothing. You know, like the Braves did in '96. Uh, so we had the reversal effect. We were up two nothing at home. Dodgers looked like they were on the ropes, but they won the last four games. And an 11 year old boy was sick to his stomach, namely me. Uh, you know, it was so needless strong. to say, though, needless to say, though, there's going to be irreparable damage done oh, by this lockout. And, you know, I know we talked, uh, I think it was last week we discussed this as well, you know, as far so. as, as far as what could, you know, how long it could, you know, it could potentially go on for. When you take into account how long it took for them to agree to a deal for COVID, it took I them. Imagine. It took. We lost 102 games. Yes. For for uh, because of because of COVID and how long it took for them right. to agree to uh, to those, uh, you know, to those guidelines. Now. I think they were the last to, to come back. Yeah, I think you know. I think it's a, but, and actually the only reason why they decided to come back was they felt that people needed a distraction from everything that was going on. That's the only you know, reason why an agreement was made. Is that what bad sex is for? Oh, 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 that's a distraction. Ooh, but ooh. I mean, when you take a when you take account of the impact that this lockout is already going to have, first off, the winter meetings in Orlando that would normally take place this canceled. upcoming week, yeah, those are those are canceled, obviously. Yep. Um, the Rule Five draft, there is a mechanism in place for the Rule Five draft. Uh, there is precedent. Uh, which the mechanism is designed to give minor leaguers more major league opportunities to be held during a work stoppage. Uh, the 94 Rule 5 draft was conducted in the middle of the strike um, with scouting directors and other player development personnel announcing picks instead of general managers. Uh, it is said here that it is unclear what will happen with this year's Rule 5 draft as players mm-hmm. taken in the Rule 5 draft they normally go on to their team's 40-man roster and become uh, members of the Players Association. 
making it likely that Major League Baseball will probably postpone or maybe even cancel the Rule 5 draft this year. Uh, There is a minor league phase as well to the Rule 5 draft, as minor leaguers are taken and put on their new team's minor league reserve list as a non-40-man roster player, uh, and that could be held as scheduled since it doesn't involve union members. But right well, now, here's the another thing I want to mention because, because um, Major League said they were going to house the minor league players, you know, over the season. So now, how is that? Now, how is that going to be affected? Well, I think that'll probably still go. I think that'll probably still uh-huh. go because keep in mind, some of those some of those minor league players are, or most of those minor league players are probably not on the forty man roster. Okay, so it would it would probably wouldn't be affected much at all. I thought it would since you know they're on lockout and they can't not. and they can't do much with anything you know until this is resolved. If it gets resolved in my life, in our lifetime. Yeah, it probably won't be. It, pro- it th- that probably won't be affected that much. Uh, okay. But the Rule Five draft, the Rule Five draft that was expected to go, I think this. Hmm. Wait, four, five. Yeah, it would. It would have been this Thursday that the Rule Five draft would take place. Right, right. Uh, it's not sure. Not sure yet what's going to happen involving that. Uh, maybe the minor league Rule Five draft might still take place. Um, but obviously they'll probably, uh, bring that up at some point this week. Uh, then you have the arbitration salary filing deadline, which is set for January 14th, where on that date, you know, teams and their arbitration eligible players, they file, they file salary figures for the upcoming season. The player files what he thinks he should be paid. The team files what they think he should be paid. And then they go to a hearing unless, of course, they uh, resolve things before uh, the hearing takes place. Uh, The deadline technically does not involve a major league transaction as the two sides are are submitting salary figures and not talking to each other. So, therefore, technically it could be held as scheduled even during the lockout. Um, however, though, this this seems like it's a deadline that seems ripe for postponement. So, uh, probably, because, for example, you know, why conduct, a, why conduct official business during a lockout when everything is supposed to be frozen? So, expect yeah. that the arbitration salary – the arbitration salary filing deadline will probably be postponed as well. Considerably, uh, yes. The, the international signing period, which would have been the, the very next day, uh, it says that technically the, the international signing period will open. So even though even though there's no official word yet, uh, people are betting strongly on the opening being pushed back indefinitely because of the wow. fact that no business is supposed to be held, even with right. non-union members. Um, it sounds like the Hall of Fame class will be announced, though. Uh, the 2022 Hall huh. of Fame class will be announced. Which, by the way, uh, we do have some early returns. Uh, nine public ballots have been submitted thus far. 
of those players that have uh, been voted on, the top vote, the top players that have received the most votes are as follows. Kurt Schilling with seven. Scott Rowland with seven. There's There's been nine ballots, by the way. So uh, nine ballots out of... Out of 392, only nine have been revealed so far or turned in. Uh, Scott Rowland has seven. Kurt Schilling has seven. Uh, Todd Helton with six. Roger Clemens with six. Barry Bonds with six. And Andrew Jones with six. You have... I don't think the steroids wins will get in. You have David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez both with four. Um, Jeff Kent with three. Bobby Abreu with two. Manny Ramirez with three. Andy Pettit with one. Jimmy Rollins with one. Uh, Sheffield and Sosa both have two. Omar Vizquel with three. And Billy Wagner with two. Those who have been left off the ballot so far are Mark Teixeira, Jonathan Papelbon, Joe Nathan, Tim Lincecum, Tori Hunter, Tim Hudson, and Mark Burley. Now, obviously, very early on, only nine, only nine ballots so far out of three out of almost four hundred ballots. So, um, obviously, more are going to be are going to be turned in, but. I think it's very surprising that very early on you're seeing a lot of steroid users. Uh, yeah, and that that they, I mean the committee is you know very is very strict about that that they don't want you know uh, cheaters uh, steroid users or we want to call it um, in there. I mean you know a Rod forget it he's not going to get in you know and I think the leaves are very clear. Schilling well this is his last attempt. And hey, if he hadn't made it the other nine times, what makes he gonna make it this time? So I think we can rule that out, you know. So uh, I but think you know, we can you rule know, out some of these. You know. you know, I just I got I got to bring this up because uh, yes. this is very hypocritical. Um, since we're talking about steroid users, uh, John Heyman is one of the one of the ballots that ha- one of the people that has passed in their ballot already. Uh-huh. And and he explains now. First off, he voted for Barry Bonds, Andrew Jones, <laughs> Jeff Kent, Scott Rowland, and Kurt Schilling. Barry okay. Bonds is the only person who used steroids that he voted for. Mm-hmm. And he explains this by saying, "I have resisted supporting all steroid-linked or improved players." as I question the authenticity of their achievements. But I have made Bonds the one exception as the narrative that he didn't use steroids until after at least 1998 is compelling. By then, he had three MVPs and seven top five finishes. I'm sorry, but that is just plain bullshit. If you're going to say, if you're going to resist supporting, you know, I don't care if... If, uh, you know, he was fine up until that point, you know, maybe he just didn't get caught until that point. But the fact, the fact that you're going to put in a vote for Barry Bonds 
and not put in a vote for somebody like David Ortiz, who, yeah, he popped up as positive huh. on 2000, in 2000 and, in 2005, he popped up as positive, but even Rob Manfred himself has has urged the uh, the Hall of Fame voters disregard that test because it was never it never came out exactly what he even tested positive for and whether or not okay. it was banned at the time. Right. So I think it's very hypocritical of a writer who has a Hall of Fame ballot to yes. to put one steroid user in and yet not put uh, not put in any other steroid users how do you justify that you don't you can't thank you that's what I was looking for you don't justify it you can't i mean it just it i i honestly I don't know what else to say about because yeah. I mean they all they all do deserve to go in you know regardless you know I, I would say okay you know you remove all those all those figures that Bonds had after after you know mm-hmm. once he got caught with steroids okay fine you know maybe okay. he is still a Hall of Fame eligible, you know, Hall of Fame worthy player. If you remove all right. those stats that he had after he got caught. But still, come on. You mean to tell me that and you know, maybe I'm sounding a, maybe I'm sounding like a butt hurt Red Sox fan here. Uh but uh-huh. you mean to tell me that a guy like David Ortiz who came up as positive but it was never revealed what he tested positive for and whether or not it was actually banned at the time. Mm. You mean to tell me that Barry Bonds is going to get in and yet he isn't? And I know some people will think, oh, well, he was just primarily a DH. But so was Edgar Martinez, and yet you guys put him in. That's right. So I just I I just don't understand. Yeah, I'm as shocked as you are. But uh, uh, what's it called? The next the next date to look for uh, mid February, which would be when spring training would normally open. Uh, obviously, okay. that is not going to happen uh, at this point. Um, Probably not. And you know, if these games if these games do not get played. Uh, Basically, the owners are. This is the point where the owners are going to start losing revenue because spring training games, while they may not be as important, it's still tickets being sold and games being broadcast on on national television or local television. Local TV. That's yeah. money. You know, that's that's money that would be going into the owners' pockets. Right. So now, at I mean, this point, in, that in March, you know, in March, that's when you know the March Madness takes over and baseball takes a back seat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you know, now that that's not, it, that's probably now that that's potentially going to start costing owners money. 
you know, that kind of, it kind of makes you wonder if that's when owner, if that's why owners may may blink before the players blink. Hmm. Because everything's fine until you start costing the owners money. Right. Uh, opening day, which would be set for March 31st, not a chance in hell that happens. Not a chance. No. Um, there is a precedent that was set for a work stoppage that would shorten spring training and delay opening day. Uh, obviously, the 1990 knockout and the 1994 to 1995 strike uh, did such a thing. Yes. Uh, canceling, postponing regular season games would be bad. Canceling them would be a nightmare and also do serious harm to the product. But we already oh, saw shit. that happen with COVID to begin with. Uh, right. Manfred, Manfred, in that same press conference that he did on Thursday morning, he expressed optimism about starting the regular season on time. And in the way, in a screwed up way, the pandemic may actually save us from a work stoppage that postpones or cancels regular mm-hmm. season games as neither, neither major league baseball nor the players association want a third straight compromised season as the players lost 63% of their pay during the 60 game 2020 season and the owners lost a ton of revenue during the shortened 2020 season. And again, when many 2021 games were played with restrictions on attendance. Nobody wants to lose. Neither side wants to lose more paychecks. So if anything, that may actually play a little bit into the fans' favor. Now, we know Major League Baseball and the Players Association can swing a truncated spring training if necessary. They did that last season by holding just a three-week training camp. Is it ideal? No, but it is doable. No. So the lockout, so the lockout extending into the early days of spring training is not technically the end of the world. It's not great, but it's not considered to be a disaster either. Now, a lockout that extends into the regular season would be disastrous. That would because because no one benefits, and hopefully both sides know better than to endanger regular season games now, however, whether they can reach a new c b a in time is another matter entirely, yes, but once the lockout begins and work stops, the calculus changes, everything changes basically it has. Now, among the topics that were being discussed in a potential new collective bargaining agreement, uh, obviously the, the DH for, uh, for the National League, that was being discussed. Uh, but according to Jesse Rogers of ESPN, uh, also being discussed was an expanded postseason and a NBA-style draft lottery. Uh, were among the things that were being discussed in a potential new collective bargaining agreement. Uh, yeah, 14 teams. Or, or actually, no, not just NBA, but also technically kind of NHL-style draft lottery as well. 
the playoffs would expand to seven teams per league, 14 overall, and would include a bye for the team with the best record in their respective league. Uh, the lottery would involve just the top three teams, but any team that didn't make the playoffs uh, would have a chance to win the first overall pick, similar to the NBA and the NHL. Right. Now, I can kind of understand them, you know, wanting to include uh, something like that because, you know, there are certain teams that would be kind of stuck in uh, mediocrity, we could kind of say. We could kind of put it like that. You know, teams would be stuck in mediocrity where they would be – they wouldn't be bad enough to get a top three pick, but they also wouldn't be good enough to, you know, be contending for a championship. And that could continue for, you know, multiple years. So I like the idea of a draft lottery because, you know, at least it gives teams somewhat of a chance. You know, if you don't make the playoffs, you get somewhat of a chance to maybe perhaps, uh, move up compared to where your, you know, where your standing is. I don't know. You know, who who knows what exactly is going to be in this collective, this new collective yeah. bargaining agreement. Uh, yes. Hopefully, you know, hopefully um, things start moving into place a lot sooner rather than later. But just based off of some of the stuff that has come out this week, uh, you know, with the, with the baseballs and everything, you got You got to think that there's definitely going to be a lot more damage that has been done now because of the baseball story. And, also the fact that there hasn't really been, with how they've described it, there hasn't really been any real negotiations that have taken place. No, there hasn't. You know, it's and, almost yeah. it's al- it's almost like both sides are treating it. Uh, you know, they're they're treating it like kids play, essentially. Yes. Which is a shame, but, you know, one thing to keep in mind, too, is a lot of these owners, they own other things. Like John Henry, for example, you know, he owns Liverpool, and he also now owns the Pittsburgh Penguins of uh, the NHL. So, you know, these owners, they can get revenue from elsewhere. You know, Mm -hmm. it's... I mean, the Colorado Rockies, they're owned by Stan Kroenke, who also owns the Denver Nuggets, as well as uh, the Colorado Avalanche as well. Uh, You know, he owns a shit ton of teams. So what he doesn't get from the Rockies, he could be getting elsewhere from, from one of his other, many other teams that he owns. Okay. But... You know, it's you know this could actually further escalate uh, a move for uh, the Tampa Bay Rays potentially. 
to move, uh, maybe maybe uh, bring baseball back to Montreal. I don't know. I don't, I don't think they'd be interested. I mean, before the 94 strike, you know, Montreal business was booming. But after that, they're like, forget yeah, we'll just pick up this house for, you know, hockey news coming up. Uh, we got the CFL. So do we really care? Well, I mean, fair point, but, you know, there's the, – the Rays are already struggling enough as it is to try and get people to buy tickets. Right. The lockout isn't going to do them any favors. No. Isn't, they, it isn't going to do any te- uh, teams like them any favors. So No, not at all. You know, it's – This lockout could potentially do a lot more harm than people may think. I was afraid of that. Now, there there were a whole bunch of moves that were made before the lockout officially happened. As a matter of fact, there was a huge trade. There was a huge trade that kind of went down uh, before everybody got locked up. Uh, in particular, between the Boston Red Sox and uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, as the Boston Red Sox, they officially reacquired Jackie Bradley Jr., as well as infield prospects Alex Benelis and David Hamilton from the Brewers in exchange for outfielder Hunter Renfro. And this literally happened just hours before the league officially locked out the players. Um, And it's kind of interesting because Benelis, before he ended up uh, getting injured, uh, when he, when he got drafted, before he ended up getting injured, he was considered, he was considered to be a top 15 player, a top 15 prospect. Right. Uh, in the Major League Baseball draft. Um, but because of his injury, he ended up falling to like the second or third round. So this is actually a pretty big get for the Boston Red Sox. Uh, it's also a pretty big get, too, for the Milwaukee Brewers because, you know, Hunter Renfro uh, is an easy power upgrade over Jackie Bradley Jr., Obviously, the Red Sox are bringing back Jackie Bradley Jr. because they valued his defense that he brought in the outfield. Uh, Whereas Hunter Renfro tied for Major League Baseball's lead with 12 errors on the season uh, playing in the outfield. And also, uh, Ken Rosenthal reported earlier yesterday that uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. was almost shipped to the Toronto Blue Jays for Randall Grichuk before Milwaukee ultimately uh, sent him to the Boston Red Sox for uh, for Hunter Renfro. Um, but, you know, obviously there were a whole bunch of other a uh, whole bunch of other moves that were made. The uh, the Red Sox, they signed former Yankee uh, James Paxton to a one-year $10 million deal, uh, which yeah. included a two-year team option, 
for the 2023 and 2024 seasons, which would to- uh, it would push the total value of the deal to roughly four, uh, $35 million. Uh, it also includes a conditional player option as well. Uh, wow, JB, you just barely got in there. Uh, literally, uh, literally showing up right, uh, beat the clock, right, as the, uh, right as the clock was uh, going into the overtime. Like literally, <laughs> you know, this is, this is weird because I'm looking at the overtime clock right now and it had literally already, it had said that, you know, uh, it had stopped streaming to blog talk radio and it was, now just recording the extra hour and technically we were already into the third hour and JB uh, that's when your number popped up all of a sudden it probably popped up maybe uh, you know uh, 10 seconds before that you didn't see it no I was looking right at I was looking right (laughs) at the uh, studio (laughs) Uh well welcome aboard JB Hey, but uh, JB, we've been talking about um, we've been talking about the uh, MLB lockout that is currently underway, and also the fact that I don't know if you read about this, JB, when I posted it in Sports Whispers, but uh, Major League Baseball they reportedly manufactured two different types of baseballs to be used this season, this past season. One would be a pitcher-friendly baseball. The other one would be a hitter-friendly baseball. And that this technically would allow Major League Baseball to try and influence certain games to go certain ways. I want to know what your thoughts are on that. Oh, jeez. My thoughts on that are the same as uh, Survivor and uh, Jeff Probst, uh, you know, doing all, you know, coming up with all these, uh, you know, all these, uh, you know, different things to try to, uh, you know, change the game, make it better. And it's like, you know what, why don't you just keep it the same as it was? People are going to watch it. Yeah, but this is different, though, because yeah. with with baseball, you know, you know, we talk about we talk about controversies and stuff, and how you know they 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 got all all on top of uh, of the pitchers for supposedly cheating by uh, you know using different. Uh, substances to increase their grip on the baseball. But yet now, technically, isn't the league sort of doing the same thing here by switching out baseballs at any point in time that they want? Truthfully, I haven't been uh, reading up on the... I didn't read up on that. So I I really... you know, I really can't say anything about that. Because Major League, because Major League Baseball, they own the uh, they own the company that makes the baseballs that they use. Isn't it Rawlings? 
Yeah, Rawlings. Yeah, they own Rawlings. Ooh, that is a huge punt block for Michigan. That is going to set. Wow, that is going to set up excellent field position for the for the Wolverines here. Yeah. Um, but you know it's. You know, we talk about sports betting and everything. You know, Major League Baseball, uh, with this being revealed that they use, they manufacture two, they have two different types of baseballs get manufactured, one that is very pitcher-friendly and one that is very hitter-friendly. They can basically influence any particular games that they want to influence. Like, if they don't want a certain team winning the World Series, like, for example, uh Say they felt it would be better for business if they had Atlanta win the World Series this year over Houston. Or say it would have been better it would have been better for business if say Houston would win the World Series over Atlanta. They could have manufactured it to where, okay, we're gonna th- we're gonna use these type of baseballs to give Houston the power that they, you know, the uh, more pop in their swing. And Houston will throw these type of baseballs to Atlanta, which will make it harder for Atlanta's hitters, uh, you know, to get runs out. To get runs up. I I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I mean, if they're gonna if they're gonna uh, you know produce those two different kind of uh, baseballs, I say have uh, you know half and half. Each team might get uh, you know half and half. We're not gonna tell you which ones. Uh, you know, you just get uh, half and half, or somebody else, some outside uh, source says uh, you know. Uh, you know, you get uh, here's the here's the baseballs. Uh, you know, we don't know which ones they are. You know, here here they are. But as far as uh, I, I, uh... you know, I mean, this was just revealed this week on top of everything else. And Rob Manfred uh, even acknowledged the report. Um, Pretty much said that it was true as well. So, I mean, to me, it just seems like it's an unfair advantage. The fact that Major League Baseball can, can directly influence games to where, you know, Certain teams, certain teams that they don't want winning, will end up winning. It's like it almost makes it almost makes you wonder. Like you know, when the Cincinnati Reds, when they were when they were on that hot streak, and they were in a playoff yeah. position, and Major League Baseball must have been like, oh no, we can't have Cincinnati, we can't have Cincinnati uh, make it into the playoffs because <laughs> they they won't bring you know they won't bring a. Uh, they won't bring nearly the same amount of an audience that say that say the uh who was the second team the St. Louis Car- that the St. Louis Cardinals would bring in 
Yeah. So we need St. Louis to make the playoffs over, uh, you know, over the Cincinnati Reds. So here, let's use these baseballs uh, to help the Cardinals, or to, or to, you know, to make it so that Cincinnati has a harder time winning their their yep. remaining games. You know, it's. It's sort of like they 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 got all up on they got they got all up on uh all up on pitchers for supposedly cheating by using uh certain things to grip the baseball with yet the league then goes and does this and manufactures two different types of baseballs to be used whenever the hell they want. Have these uh, you know, baseballs been used? Yes. Yeah, oh, okay. they have been used. Okay. They were they were yeah. used they were used all 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 year long. They alternated back and forth between uh, between using the different balls. And the reason the excuse that Rob Manfred gave was, oh, some of these were excess balls that weren't used. Uh, or that were, uh, you know, that were produced, <laughs> but were never, but were never used. So we decided to put them in uh, with the current batch for this season's uh, baseballs. <laughs> Damn liar! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, do you really, do you really expect us to believe that shit? No. I mean, we're not stupid. Just go back to making know, regular baseballs. I mean, if a player, if a player's, if a if a player is going to succeed, have them succeed on their own. Yep. Go by the rules. If the rules say that uh, you know pitcher cannot, uh, you know, put some kind of, uh, you know, shit on their. Uh, hands or the baseball to just to get them to, uh, you know, get the right grip. You know, that's tough shit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Here's the ball. You pitch it. Uh, The rules say, you know, you're not allowed to use any kind of, uh, you know, foreign substances. And, you know, if you get caught, (laughs) then you... uh, That's your problem. Pay the price. Yeah. Now, I, you know, I right. felt I felt that the uh, that the that the checks on the checks on different pitchers this season uh, have been a whole bunch of horseshit. It's like people are still gonna cheat regardless. They're gonna find a way to cheat yeah. regardless of what happens. So. You know why are you guys going through this uh, this whole thing? Yeah, when it's going to happen anyways. Exactly. Well, it looks like uh, with the lack of offense that Iowa is putting up, it looks like yeah. Michigan will. It looks like Michigan will stay in the college football playoff from 
So I, I think it's almost it's pretty much a guarantee that we're going to see the same four teams just in a different, you know, a, a just in a in a different uh, a different lineup. But right, the four team the four teams are pretty mu- are pretty much going to be the same exact teams. And you know, uh, one of the people I follow on uh, on Twitter, you know, he's very heavy into sports gambling and everything. Uh, you know, he bring he puts out certain plays that people should uh, that people should make bets on, and most of the time he's right. Uh, he has his top four is this. He has Alabama at number one. He's got Georgia at number two. He's got Michigan at three, and he's got Cincinnati at four. And, I mean, JB, JB, you went through that whole entire thing in Sports Whispers with Jim earlier. Um, Yeah. So, you know, I'm not going to go any further, uh, you know, when it comes to that. But, I mean. You know what? And and really, it doesn't – to me, it doesn't really uh, matter where they, uh, the uh, you know Bearcats, because uh, the powers that uh, you know make up the people that ma- the guys that make up these uh, rankings, they're going to rank them wherever they uh, rank them. Yeah. And I even agreed with uh, Jim that most of the, I'd say, 70 or 80% of the uh, top 10 teams could uh, beat the uh, uh, Bearcats. I could possibly see the Bearcats beating uh Notre Dame okay. maybe uh maybe uh Ole Miss um I forget who uh I forget who else uh was like uh, in the uh, top 10 Oh we this is actually just and we may have a huge Huge loss for Alabama, as Uh-oh. everybody knows. John Mech- John Mechie the third went down with an injury. This is I, I swear this is flashbacks of Jalen Waddle uh, from last year. Alabama has officially lost John Mechie the third to a torn ACL, so he is Uh-oh. out for the college football playoff. Wow. And you know, their their uh their offense kind of struggled with Mechie officially out. Once it, once he ended up leaving the game, you know, Alabama they put up 24 points uh in the second quarter, but 
they only put up 17 the rest of the game. Their offense kind of struggled the rest of the game. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. a pretty significant loss. Because now teams Big are going to be now teams are going to teams are going to be able to game plan uh, to try and isolate James on Williams, uh, James and Williams. Wow! So that is that's huge. huge. That is a huge loss for Alabama here. Um. Let's see. Uh, some of the other some of the other acquisitions that were made uh, over this uh, before the lockout, I should say. Uh, the Red Sox they also signed Rich Hill to a one year five million dollar deal. Uh, coming back, coming back to the Red Sox. Uh, for the seventh time in his 18-year uh, MLB career, uh, the Red Sox also agreed to arbitration or to a deal with uh, catcher Kevin Plawecki, which will uh, avoid arbitration basically if there ever is going to be arbitration this year. Um, you know what was very surprising, Lou, is that the Yankees remained absolutely silent. Yeah, I was surprised by that too. That's not like us. Not a single deal was announced. No. Very surprised. I'm just surprised that as you are. Yeah. I'm just surprised as you are. Meanwhile, the Mets you know the Mets. They had all those de- all those other yeah. deals that we uh, talked about uh, that we talked about last week. Uh, they had, uh, they ended up making. Uh, the Yankees did lose Corey Kluber. Uh, Kluber has uh, has officially signed with the Tampa Bay Rays for a one year eight million dollar deal. Uh, it does also include incentives, though, that could push his salary to $13 million next year. Uh, he was limited to just 24 starts over the last three years due to injuries, but he did toss a no-hitter with the Yankees last year against the Rangers. Um, yeah, he did. And he finished, and he finished uh, through 16 starts with a solid 3.83 ERA, as well as an 82 to 33 strikeout to walk ratio across 80 innings for the New York Yankees. Um, the Red Sox they also agreed to a deal with uh, Michael Waka, uh, a one-year deal, formerly of the Tampa Bay Rays. So basically, the Rays replaced Michael Waka with Corey Kluber, which kind of is seen as an upgrade uh, at this point. Uh, there were a monster amount of deals that were made, though. Uh, the Mets, they agreed to terms with Max Scherzer. On, right. And this is a mind-blowing deal for a 36- to 37-year-old. Max Scherzer finalized a three-year, $130 million deal. If you do the math, that's forty-three 
and a third million dollars per year, which blows away the average annual value on Garrett Cole's deal with the New York Yankees. So they've they've essentially replaced Noah Syndergaard at the top of the rotation with the Mets with Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom. I mean, it's mind blowing that yes. they would give that they would overpay Scherzer like that. I don't, I don't know if I would give Scherzer forty three and a third million dollars, considering. Actually, let me take a look. Let me see what was. They're going to make this hard on me. I'm actually going to have to. Uh, okay, here we go. Baseball reference. Okay, he was 15 and four last year between the Nationals and the Dodgers. 30 games. Okay, so he did technically play a full season last year. Um, but I mean, he's going to be 37 years old. And they're going to be paying him all the way until he's 40. And he's, he's going to be getting $43 million per season. I mean, that just yeah. seems like such an astronomical price. Yeah. For, yeah. But, you know, I guess, I guess the Mets really don't care about spending. I mean, obviously, this is probably going to put them obviously into not. the luxury tax. This is probably going to put them into the luxury tax, I would assume. Although I guess it makes sure. sense because they, cause they did lose Marcus Stroman. Because uh, Marcus Stroman, he signed a three-year deal worth $71 million with the Chicago Cubs. So uh, they replaced Stroman basically with Scherzer, which technically is an upgrade for the Mets. Uh, Scherzer, or not Scherzer, Stroman this year recorded a 3.02 ERA uh, with the Mets across uh, 33 starts. Let me look at Scherzer's. Uh, Scherzer, yeah, Scherzer was 15-4, and four, a 2.46 ERA. So, yeah, that is definitely an upgrade, uh, replacing mm-hmm. Stroman with Scherzer. Uh Then there was this deal. The Texas Rangers signed Corey Seager to a 10-year, $325 million deal. Um, If if Corey Seager is going to get that, what the hell is Carlos (laughs) Correa going to get on the open market? Because not just that, Keep in mind the the Rangers they added almost almost half a billion actually no it was maybe a little more than half a billion dollars in player salary this past week because three hundred and twenty five mil to Seager they committed one hundred and seventy five million dollars to Marcus Simeon of the Toronto Blue Jays. 
So Simeon will stay at second, and Seager is the new shortstop in Texas. Then they added John Gray to their starting rotation from the Colorado Rockies. I mean, that is some serious spending for a team that's probably going to finish in the cellar once again. (laughs) I mean, my God. Yeah. Although I don't know, I don't know though. Considering the power that Seager and Simeon have, maybe, just maybe, the Rangers may be a potential threat. Because I mean, Simeon hit forty-five homers this year and a hundred and two RBIs, and Seager was a very big power hitter for the Dodgers all of those years that he was with them. So. I don't know. Maybe perhaps there will be, uh, there could be, uh, you know, a changing of the guard in the, uh, in the AL West. Maybe Texas, maybe Texas gets into the middle of it. Uh, Let's see. We also saw, um, what else did we see? Uh, Javier Baez, he signed a six-year, $140 million deal with the uh, Detroit Tigers, which also features a partial no-trade clause, which allows him to block uh, block trades to 10 teams each year. Uh, And according to this, uh, according to this, there's also an opt-out after two years, so he could technically enter free agency after his age 30 season, depending on how things play out. Uh, The Seattle Mariners, they signed Robbie Ray to a five-year, $115 million contract. And Michigan just adds on. It's a 34, soon to be 35 to three. Yeah, I think 10 minutes ago you said, you, we could have said uh, Michigan won. Now yeah. it's definitely you know, Michigan won. You know what? I, 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 I hate to deviate from baseball a little bit here, but, you know, this game is making me wonder why the hell was Iowa even considered for a championship game? I mean, granted, it's yeah. Obviously, the answer is it's because of their record. But I mean, this is pretty pathetic for a team that at one point was. I think they got what did they get as high as the number two, uh, the number two seed. <clears throat> I mean, Lou, well, uh, how how high did Iowa get? Was it number two or was it number three? I believe it was number three. Well, it's very hard to see this team being a being a former number three seed that's currently yeah. being demolished by Michigan right now, thirty-five to three. Yeah, demolished isn't the word for it. No, I blew it worse too, but I, I'll be a gentleman. And by the way, the uh, projected um, 
the projected point spreads and matchups right now. Uh, looks like it would be number one Alabama with a 12.5 point spread against Cincinnati at number four. And Georgia, number three Georgia, would be a nine-point favorite against number two Michigan. And what the projected uh, football playoff uh, standings would look like. Of those three teams, which one do you think uh, Cincinnati would fare the best with playing? Uh, Honestly, probably Michigan. You think so? Okay. I would say probably Michigan because I think they would get. I think they would get demolished by Alabama. And I think they would probably. I, th- I think they wouldn't. They wouldn't really fare that much better against Georgia. So. And I, I, so, I, I hate to bring. I hate to bring it up again, but looking at uh-huh. last, looking at last year's score, were you surprised that uh, the score? Were you surprised at the final score and how much uh, little spread there was between Cincinnati and Georgia? Not the uh, win loss, but the you know spread wise. Yeah. Well, wait. Kind of refresh. Kind of refresh me on it. What? Uh, what exactly was? I think Georgia was favored by uh, by ten over Cincinnati, right? Right. And I guess close to two minutes to go. Well, it might have been less than that. Uh, it was, I guess, what. 20 to 19 Cincinnati was winning uh, and Georgia scored a uh, field goal with like three seconds to go. And then when they kicked it off, they kicked it off. Uh, Cincinnati got it at like the, uh, oh, one or two yard line. So they started from there. Well, Georgia came and, uh, I don't know if they sacked the quarterback in the so, somehow they got uh uh two points. I think the final score was like uh 24 21. Well, you know, another, one thing to think about though is this year's Georgia team is a different team compared to last year's. So I mean, last year, from and this, what I remember, yeah, this year's Cincinnati, this year's Cincinnati team is a lot different than last year's too. Yeah, but from what I remember, though, is that last year's Georgia team kind of took a step back compared okay. to compared to what we were used to seeing out of Georgia. Yes. Now, yeah, they were... obviously. Obviously, you know, this year's Georgia team, you know, they beat uh they beat Clemson 
keep in mind this was before we realized Clemson was just a piece of shit this year and wasn't even right. yeah, anywhere really. close <laughs> to the team that they once were. But uh, they had beaten Clemson when they were the number three seed to start yeah. the year. Uh, they won against Arkansas. They shut out Arkansas when Arkansas was the eighth-ranked team in the uh, in the country. Uh, they had a win over 11th-ranked Kentucky. They also had blowout wins against teams like Florida, Missouri, Tennessee. Um. I wouldn't include South Carolina in that mix because South Carolina hasn't been good for a while. Um, right. <laughs> but, you know, apart from – oh, they also had a kind of a blowout win against Auburn too. So, you know, it's – they have had some pretty some pretty decent wins this year. Now, when I compare it to Cincinnati, I mean, they beat Miami, Ohio. Uh, Honestly, the only the only big team that they've really faced is Notre Dame. Right. And they yeah, beat them and they, were, and they were ranked. Yeah, and they were ranked. They were they were the ninth yes. ranked this uh this season. And, and I think I, you know, I I think it's pretty bad though. I think it's pretty bad that you were facing the twenty first ranked Houston, and you at one point you guys almost relinquished the lead to Houston today. Uh, what was it? Fourteen to thirteen, I think. Something like I think yeah, yeah. It was four thirteen at one point. And of course, you ended up winning thirty-five to twenty. But you know, in a championship game, the number four ranked team shouldn't be having that much of a problem against a team that's ranked and that that's ranked uh, below twenty, for example. So this is, you know, this is the thing that I'm looking at here. I mean, yeah, you had wins over Temple, a blowout win over Temple. Uh, UCF was kind of good this year. You know, UCF was kind of good this year, and Cincinnati blew them out. Uh, Cincinnati blew out the the Mustangs, Mm -hmm. the Bulls. You know, I guess uh, kind of what Jim said in uh, in Sports Whispers earlier is – Cincinnati doesn't really have a tough conference. No, they don't. The no, they don't. So, I mean, really, the only big team that they beat was Notre Dame. That's it. Yeah. And it and it was after they beat Notre Dame that they actually uh, shot up there in the uh, ranking. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, they have, you know, they have a 13-0 and record, but it's kind of misleading because it's like, yeah, well, who have you guys beaten? You know, but when I, when I look up at 
at other matchups. Like, I look at Georgia, I look at Alabama, and... They always play tough teams. Yes. Yeah, that's the problem. I mean, hell, I look at Michigan. I look at Michigan, and Michigan has... Well, I mean, obviously, they beat Ohio State last week. Uh, they beat Ohio State last week. They beat Michigan – or, no, they lost to Michigan State, actually. So, you know, I would think just based off of the matchups, you you know, Cincinnati would probably have a better opportunity against Michigan as opposed to – well, I don't know. Michigan, they beat Penn State this year. They beat yeah. – uh, they beat Wisconsin, Nebraska. Really, their top, their honestly, their top two wins were probably against Penn State and and Ohio State. And then they they lost a they lost a, a slim game against uh, against Mississippi State. And currently they are piling on Iowa, but I'm not going to even include this game because Iowa, their offense has been shit since the very beginning of the year and very suspect to begin with. So I'm not even going to include this game uh, in Michigan's, uh, in Michigan's, you know, um, resume. So I would think it would probably be a better matchup for Cincinnati if they went against Michigan, as opposed yeah. to going up against uh, going up against Alabama or Georgia. But if I mean if you're up against Alabama and Georgia or, or Georgia in the first round, you know, kind of like what Jim said in Sports Whispers earlier today, uh, sure. you better you better get a you better get a Bible and you better start praying. Because right, like right now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, if you have Alabama, you're pretty much screwed. Georgia, I think you would probably have a better shot against. I mean, granted, granted, yeah, they were undefeated the entire season, but I think Alabama kind of exposed their defense a little bit. Yeah, and. If you're able to get if you're if if Cincinnati is able to get their offense into a uh, into a high powered uh, state like they have been in certain games this year, you know maybe perhaps if Cincinnati can put up points, they would have somewhat of a chance as long as they as long as they could be able to outgun Georgia. But even then, I would still give the advantage to Georgia. So, a best case scenario would be a matchup against Michigan, and even Michigan. then, it's kind. Even then, it's kind of a bit of a tall task considering what Michigan is doing tonight to to Iowa. Oh yeah. But it's a. You know, you know the way I the way the way I've looked at it ever since they've oh and I put in quotes they ever since they have ranked uh, the Bearcats up there 
in the top five. Uh, I think they were ranked four, five, or six. And I think I mentioned something oh, almost two months ago. Maybe a month, maybe a month, month and a half ago, about uh, you know why Cincinnati was even uh, you know ranked that high. And I think I asked Jim. I said, "Do you think Cincinnati deserves to be ranked that high?" And at the time, he a lot said, of "Controversy about that, fellas." He 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 said uh, yes, but I think it was. Uh, yes, with an. I think he meant yes with an asterisk. Yes, because of their uh, record and beating uh, Notre Dame, but still, just beating Notre Dame. It's almost like they shot up to number six. The day after yeah. they beat the Notre Dame. Yeah, Lou, you said you said there was some sort of a there's some sort of controversy um, regarding with that. You know, with the polls, of course, with uh, Cincinnati. You know, there's been a lot of controversy because you know since they play in such a weak conference, name with the AC. You know, they don't get, of course, the respect. So there's been a lot of griping about. You know. Are they deserving of getting that number uh, number four ranking? I think they do deserve because they've played well and they played well the last couple of years. So I think they're I think they're overdue for the respect. To be honest with you, I'm not agree with I'm not I really agree with the critics anyway. And this is one time I do not agree with them at all. Give them the credit they deserve. And the same thing we said a few years ago with uh, UCF. I mean, that's the same situation really. You know. They were undefeated, but like, nah, you play in a crappy conference, so we can't really give you the credit. Give the credit where credit is due for college teams, no matter what conference they're in. Or, you know, the Sun Belt, the uh, the uh, the Act, or or whatever. I mean, you know, if that's where you're playing, give them the credit. Don't be a dick. But you know, I'm looking at other. I'm looking at other teams they faced off against too. Uh, Navy. Who at the time was one in six, and Cincinnati barely struggled to win against them, winning only twenty-seven to twenty. You know, this is a this is a uh, a team that supposedly had such a high-powered offense. Now I understand struggling against Notre Dame, uh, winning only twenty-four thirteen. I understand that because sure. Notre Dame is a much a much a much tougher team to go up against. Uh, you know, even kind of the Indiana Hoosiers, I can kind of understand maybe struggling a little bit, even though they put up 38 points against Indiana. I can kind of understand maybe struggling in terms of defense. But right. they just narrowly got by Navy. They narrowly yeah, got by, by one, Tulsa. Yeah, by, by, one, by touchdown one touchdown, too. <laughs> Yeah, they narrowly got by Tulsa, who Tulsa at the time was three and six. They narrowly got by them twenty eight to twenty. And you know, it's it's like some of these teams are teams that you got that that uh you should be blowing out and instead you're having the most difficulty against them. 
Yeah. Right. Hell, even, uh, even, 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 right the, uh, even the South Florida, the South Florida Bulls, yeah, you put up 45 yeah. points on the South Florida Bulls, but you also gave up 28 points against South Florida. USF, well, of course, we know I have my own way of knowing the space works. Yeah, I use this before, but we can also use it as you stupid, you know. Yeah. But at right, the same that. time, you know, I look at the uh I look at the SMU game, you know, SMU was 8 and 3 and Cincinnati killed them 48 to 14. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, there there are some games that you that you look at that are like, okay, you know, it's not like you guys beat it's not like you guys beat teams that you should have beaten. Right, you know, right. SM, exactly. SMU, SM, SM, SMU. They're in the middle of kind of a little bit of a rebuild. I mean, it's kind of a surprise that they uh, that they even got as far as they did this year. But um, yeah. you know, with an eight and four record, but still, you know, there's it's like there there's some there's some teams that you should handle with no problem and against some of those teams. I mean, yeah, Cincinnati still won, but they did kind of struggle against those. Yeah. So it's like, if you're going to struggle against those teams, what the hell are you going to do? If you're going to go up against Alabama or Georgia, hold up and die. Well, not exactly that, but, you know, it's like well, not literally speaking, of course. It's it's like you know you're gonna basically, like Jim said, you better get a Bible and go to church and pray. Right. Yeah. But. You know, I got I got to tell you though, even against Michigan, Michigan, this is the second straight week that Michigan has scored forty-two points. First against Ohio State, and now against Iowa. So, you know, even if if Cincinnati gets Michigan, that's not even going to be much more of a better matchup than against. Uh, you know, Alabama no matter who they, no or, matter who they get, they better take a uh, Bible and pray. Kind of, I mean, yeah. You know, no Michigan, matter, I mean, Michigan, no matter who they get. Yeah, you, you know, Michigan may have one of the one of the more sketchy schedules this year, but. I mean, they did just blow out Iowa, who, you know, their offense has been suspect to begin with. But they also handily defeated Ohio State. And that's not something that you can really, you know, that's not something that you can really shy away from. So, you know, it's, it's it's really hard to determine who would be 
the better matchup, but right. it would probably they, have yeah. to be Michigan. Yeah, and yeah. and Michigan, if you want to say barely beat them, it you know uh, it looks like it's uh, you know more than it is. But if you want to say Michigan barely beat Penn State, you know you could uh, you could say that too. Yeah, yeah, you can. I mean, you, the uh, the argument does does flip back over that way as well. And but look at fan, Rutgers. Rutgers, they only the beat by seven. Uh, Rutgers. You know, even though Rutgers is in uh, the, uh, you know, Big Ten, it's like <laughs> they're at the bottom. Yeah, big whoop. Well, Rutgers sucks anyway in football. Well, Rutgers, Rutgers at the time was undefeated. They were 3-0 and before that loss. Yeah, but they played a bunch of schlub teams. Uh, <laughs> like yeah, Cincinnati. Well, they did. I mean, well, Rutgers at the time, they beat, no they, beat Temple. they beat Temple and they beat Syracuse as well as, uh, yeah, as, well as Delaware at the time. So, yeah. Big deal. Yeah. Syracuse so, now with the use You know. No. Obviously, you know I can I can kind of see what you're what you're talking about, uh, JB, when it comes to barely beating Penn State. But at the same time, you know you kind of have to remember Penn State is one of the higher schools, right? You know, even though they're in even though they're in the Big Ten, they're one of the higher uh, prestige right. schools. So. You know, a win over Penn State is, I guess you could technically say, is kind of a big deal. Uh-huh. But yeah, yeah. So I mean, I mean, it looks like it looks like we have our uh, our college football playoff uh, pretty much set. Well, it just it just it just depends on who is going to be in the top. Uh, you know where exactly they're going to be ranked, and which will determine what the matchup by tomorrow, actually, what the matchups will be. By noon tomorrow, we'll know. Probably, probably by tomorrow, we'll uh, we'll we'll find out that information. Well, let's um, show at noon. At noon. Yep. Yeah, I think it is noon when it comes out. Okay. Yes. Well, okay. Well, then that'll be that'll be something to uh, something to watch before uh, before the games. I mean, obviously, obviously, I kind of I kind of don't I kind of don't care about this week's games until we go until we go into uh, uh, into Monday Night Football this week because Patriots and right. uh, and Bills this week. Uh, you the know, game. going over to football, going over to football for a little bit here. Uh, there was a report that got released by Adam Schefter earlier today, and Ben Roethlisberger has reportedly privately told former teammates and some within the organization that he expects this to be his final season playing quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
And, I mean, it was unlikely to begin with after he took a uh, pay cut to come back to play for just one more run at a championship this year. Uh, However, though, Schefter's reporting does insinuate that Roethlisberger may not retire and instead may look to continue with a team that may be – that may need a quarterback. But still – at 39 years old with no mobility and, you know, his arm strength uh, gradually decreasing even further, wouldn't it be better for him to just call it a career? Absolutely. I mean, I think he should have called it quits this year. Yeah. It sort of seemed to me, it sort of seemed to me in the playoffs last year that he just checked out. I mean, with that horrible playoff uh, appearance that he had, it I mean, it was abundantly clear that, you know, he just he just wasn't the same Ben Roethlisberger that people are, are used to seeing. No. Uh, I wouldn't rule out him, though, you know, playing for another team. I think that's entirely possible. I don't know. 40 and... Interior rating, I don't know. I don't see it. You know, we did we did see some major injuries this week. Uh, Dalvin Cook for Minnesota, he suffered a torn labrum and a separated shoulder. Even though it's not considered season ending, you kind of have to wonder just exactly how much long how how long would he actually be out? Yeah, with both a separated shoulder and a torn labrum. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, he's done for the year with an ankle injury. So, so he's been placed on injured reserve for a second time, thus making him ineligible to return. So that's a big, uh, that's a big loss for the, for the Panthers organization, even, even though let's face it, they're not making the playoffs with Newton anyways. Mm. So much for the return, to, you know, trying to be becoming a return to glory. I mean, that's what the, uh, Newton was hoping for when he came back to the Panthers, thinking they're going to be back to where they were uh, in their Super Bowl run, but has been anything from it. Yeah, but that, but then we uh, then we found out we found out very quickly that no, it's just the it's just the Cam Newton that was. Uh, that was with the Patriots last year. Yes. But hey, who knows who knows who they're gonna try out next at quarterback. Um huh. let's see, some some other injuries, the Lions, they may be without their star running back DeAndre Swift for multiple weeks due to a shoulder injury. Uh per, particularly the A C joint. Uh but that doesn't matter anyways. You know, the Lions are out of are out of the playoffs to begin with. They were out of week one. The Titans, yeah, really. uh, they, are, they are without Kevin Byard for at least this week as he – well, it's a bye week anyways, but uh, Kevin okay. Byard, he was placed on the COVID list. Uh, the Patriots, they may be without Kyle Duggar possibly. 
uh, as he was placed on the COVID list. So that could be if he uh, – I think the deadline for him to be activated for Monday is 4 p.m. Monday uh, for him to be eligible to play. Yeah. Uh, the the Titans, they will be without Janoris Jenkins, who is going to be out with a foot uh, a foot and ankle right. sprain. So who knows how long he will be out for. Uh, let's see. The Niners, they're going to be without Fred Warner and Debo Samuel for about one to two weeks with uh, a hamstring and a groin injury. Uh, Dan Arnold, uh, he is, looks like he's probably going to be out for, well, I mean, it's the Jaguars, so who really cares about that? Um, The Browns, they've lost right tackle Jack Conklin to a torn patella tendon for the rest of the season. So uh, for a, for an offense that's already relied on a dominant run game throughout the year, uh, they've lost probably their best blocker on that yeah. offensive line. So any hope that Cleveland had of potentially coming back in this season, uh, it's getting worse by the day, it seems. Mm. Also, COVID seems to have really struck this week as we have a whole bunch of, uh... oh, speaking of COVID, uh, Antonio Brown, he got suspended three games for faking faking his COVID (laughs) credentials. But anyways, uh, that's it for tonight's show. Um Obviously, we'll be back next week. Uh, the Survivor Podcast uh, will be back on Thursday night. Uh, JB, thank you for joining me. Lou, thank you as always uh, for joining thank me. Thank you. Um, we'll be back uh, for the Sports Pod. We'll be back next uh, next Saturday night, uh, barring anything unforeseen. You know, obviously, if there's anything. Uh, uh, I'll post about it or, or or I'll text Lou. But um, anyways, uh, yeah, everybody have a great rest of your weekend. And, uh, yeah, we will see you guys next week.